If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Today on the show, Georgia goes blue. What? What does this mean for America? And what happens today when Congress meets to certify the 2020 presidential election? We'll have Dave Briggs, my old pal from Fox, and Hugh Hewitt on the program. Hey, everyone. I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. Today disaster for the Republicans in Georgia. It certainly looks like they have lost not one, but both of the Senate seat runoffs that we were watching in that state. And who have they elected to the United States Senate? Well, in one case, absolutely a radical on the left and uh, in another, you know, pretty open socialist. So what does that mean for the U.S. Senate and where we're going as a country? We're going to get into all of it in just one minute. Uh, And what does it mean for Joe Biden's agenda on immigration? on the environment, on taxes, on health care. Republicans aren't going to like what they're going to get. Not at all. But was that the point? Were the Trump base members trying to send a message to the GOP that um, you don't listen to us, the whole ship goes down and, you know, then the cleanup begins. So we'll talk about it in one second. But first, uh, let's talk about Norton 360 with LifeLock. This new year, you may be excited about the new device you got over the holidays or your focus may be on your New Year's resolutions. Make sure your new devices and your resolutions, people, include one critical thing, protection. With hackers looking to steal your information and one out of every five Americans having been affected by identity theft, you may not be as private and secure as you think, especially right now with the economy, what it is, and people out of work. Sadly, crime goes up, including cybercrime. That is why Norton 360 with LifeLock makes it easy to help keep you safe. They've tried to make it as easy as possible for you with device security to help block hackers from devices, a VPN for online privacy, and LifeLock identity theft protection to help you keep what's yours, yours. No one, of course, can prevent all cybercrime or identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But why wouldn't you at least get in the fight? Try to protect yourself. Why do you put a deadbolt on your front door and not put any sort of deadbolts on your online presence? Norton 360 with LifeLock helps you say cheers to a cyber safe new year. Save 25% off or more your very first year at Norton.com slash MK. Check it out now. It's Norton.com slash MK to save 25%. Joining me now to kick things off today is my old pal Dave Briggs. We worked together for years at Fox News. He was also at NBC Sports and CNN, but... Fox News was his best stint, <laughs> and uh, he's going to help us understand what happened in Georgia last night. Dave, it's so good to have you here. Great to be here. It was indeed my, my best stint. I'd agree with you there, Megan. Great to of have course. you. You're doing a great job with the podcast. We don't want to work at NBC, and we don't want to work at CNN. So uh, <laughs> now it's nice to be on our own, too, but uh, the Fox News years were good ones. Okay. Um, Georgia, I have to tell you, so I was frustrated last night because our cable wasn't working. And uh, so I'm trying to get everything online and my team's sending me information. And I'm 
I'm seeing the results coming. I wasn't totally stunned about Kelly Loeffler, but I, I am stunned that Ossoff appears to have pulled this out, uh, given given how handily he was beaten back in November. Um, I don't know. You tell me where do things stand today? Are both seats officially gone? Well, frankly, I wasn't stunned either about Kelly Loeffler uh, having not been born in Georgia. Perception that she bought the seat also running against a very popular uh, Baptist, you know, pastor of the church where MLK, uh, Martin Luther King was once the pastor, Ebenezer Baptist. So a lot of factors going against Kelly Leffler. I certainly thought David Perdue would hang on, the cousin of a former Georgia governor, a very popular U.S. senator. But for one, Raphael Warnock, we know that is over. Kelly Leffler has conceded there. Warnock is the winner by, looks like 53,000 votes, so a pretty convincing margin there. John Ossoff also looks likely to cruise to victory. Um, 16,000 votes is the margin this morning. The, the largely outstanding votes look like they lean Democratic, so it would be a last-second miracle to see John Ossoff lose, to see David Perdue still win. It looks like that thing is over. And Ossoff, by the way, has claimed victory. So it looks like you'll have your first black Georgia senator and your first Jewish Georgia senator as well. But most importantly, 50-50 in the U.S. Senate with Kamala Harris, the vice president, uh, providing that tie-breaking vote. So this is a stunner. Uh, that both seats go blue. But look, a lot of people in Georgia, 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 right? I mean, we thought maybe it was going purple. It looks blue today. Yeah, you know, and and talking with some friends down in Georgia this morning, as well as some Republicans across the country, a lot of blame being cast at the feet of President Trump. Voter suppression has long been a story there in the state of Georgia. Uh, And you heard about it with the governor's race with Governor Kemp. But this time it's It's President Trump who looks to have suppressed the Republican vote. Eric Erickson, who you know, a good friend of ours, hosts a radio show in Georgia. I talked to him earlier this morning. He says, don't give too much credit to Stacey Abrams this morning. First, you need to blame President Trump. He spent the last five weeks talking about voting irregularities, voter fraud. He called the Georgia elections illegitimate and illegal. They wasted five weeks of potential messaging. The president could have claimed his own victory for driving out 74 million votes, a record for the Republican Party, said that he grew the tent and focused on divided government in blocking that Schumer-Pelosi agenda. He didn't do it. I don't know, though. Let me let me challenge you on that. First of all, number yep. one, I, I don't think Kelly Loeffler has conceded yet. She's still not conceding, though it, it appears her goose is cooked. Um, but second of all, so Trump was divided from the lawyers like Lynn Wood, who, you know, at that one rally was like, don't vote. Screw this party. Screw everything. Georgia's effed up. Um, don't go out there. And the White House was pretty quick to say he doesn't speak for us. And by the way, he's a, a lifeline, a lifetime Democratic voter. The White House came out and said that the campaign and uh, and then Trump went down there and campaigned repeatedly for uh, the two Republicans. So I realize Trump's been challenging the electoral results. But to say, you know, he was out there suppressing voter turnout, I think I think he would he would disagree. Well, uh, an Atlanta Journal-Constitution poll just over a week ago 
showed that 55% of those who label themselves very conservative were considering not voting in this runoff election because they believe the elections to be illegitimate and fraudulent. Where did they get that accusation? From the Twitter feed and from the mouth of the president. I don't know how you can challenge the fact that the president, the first thing he said at that rally Monday night in Georgia was talking about the fraudulent elections. It was well, that's 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 true. I mean, so so that's the thing is that first of all, he introduced Kelly Loeffler. He called her Karen, which that's Karen. that's not good. Uh, but he, he there's no question he should have spent more time talking, maybe not about um, Loeffler and Purdue, who were, weren't exactly inspirational candidates, but talking about their opponents, talking about their opponents how far left they are, the controversial things that Warnock has said about America, about the military, about cops, about about whites, how this is a white supremacist country. Like no time spent on that. It was all spent on grievance, which is sort of Trump's trademark, you know, and he absolutely could have been more helpful to these Republicans if he'd been focused a bit more on the flaws in their Democratic challengers in a state like Georgia. But wait, let me ask you this, Dave. I I read that GOP turnout was actually strong. It was strong in Georgia. It just happened to not be quite as strong as the Democrats. Right. The turnout was outstanding. And in fact, Cherokee County, the largely uh, Republican county there, at last check, it looked like they might outperform the November election, which is staggering. But as we That's saw with the presidential election, right? Joe Biden got 81 million votes. 74 million for Trump was a record, but he's even bigger than he is a Republican turnout artist. He turns out Democratic votes like nothing we have ever seen before. Mm-hmm. In particular, the African American turnout. Raphael Warnock outperformed the Black turnout that Joe Biden. Uh, saw in November. And look, a lot of this credit does go to Stacey Abrams. She has built a machine there, voter registration and voter turnout. But in the end, I think Republicans will sit there and have to scratch their heads and wonder what would have happened if President Trump would have taken this five weeks to simply focus on, yes, to your point about the radical beliefs and policies of these two candidates, but also just providing a check on Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and the radical agenda that they want to get through. He did not do that. It was not about policy. It was not about party for the president. It was about grievances. It was about loyalty. And that's what it always has been about. Not about party for Trump, but about Trumpism. Yeah, I know. And sometimes it's worked for him and sometimes it hasn't. And sometimes it's worked for America. And sometimes it hasn't. And I, I mean, I, I, I'm a big fan of divided government just in general. As and uh, I, I don't I don't like one party rule. I don't. And I think most Americans don't like one party rule. And I think we'll have one party rule until 20, uh, two years from now. And it's going to flip back. And by the way, this Warnock seat is only a two year seat. He, the only person who won a six year seat, as it appears now, at least is Ossoff. Right. Because it was it was uh, sort of a temporarily held seat. So. In two years, this one seat could flip back. 
And while we don't have divided government the way you and I would like to see it, and I know a lot of your listeners, what we do have is truly a divided Senate. Because even if this seat goes to Ossoff, which it looks like it will, we're still looking at 50-50 with Kamala Harris um, providing that tie-breaking vote. But they can't cram through massive legislation unless they get rid of the filibuster which I, for one, will go on record as saying, I do not think that will happen. They need every vote on the Democratic side. And I just don't think Joe Manchin, maybe two or three others would go along with that ploy. So what are they going to get through? They're going to get through their judges. They're going to get through their cabinet. They're going to get through maybe some tweaks to strengthen Obamacare. Certainly those $2,000 stimulus checks for COVID relief, which again, Oddly, the president introduced that debate and forced Leffler and Purdue to support those $2,000 checks. He forced that as an issue. But a lot of people panicked about taxes going up and massive pieces of legislation on the environment. That doesn't look likely, again, unless they get rid of the filibuster. And I don't know about you, Megan. I don't see that happening. I don't, I think they are going to roll back the Trump tax cuts. And I think we're looking at amnesty for 11 million uh, un, undocumented immigrants in this country. I do. I, I don't think those are unrealistic uh, things to expect under a united Democratic government with Joe Biden at the head. And I think the, the squad just got a lot more powerful last night. You listen to these two senators in Georgia, they sound like the squad. They don't sound like Joe Biden Democrats. And, you know, now now there's nothing to stop him. There's no reason for there, Joe Biden has no one to blame for for moderating anything. You know, he can just say he can't say, look, I've got to work with the Republican Senate. Uh, now. Now it's Dems in control or so. You know, here. All right, I got to ask you another question, because there's another big story happening today, and that is Congress is going to meet to confirm Joe Biden as president elect. So walk us through that process and what's expected to happen this afternoon. This is a sad day in American history that we're about to see on the Senate floor. It's supposed to be a mere formality. Mike Pence's role is supposed to be largely ceremonial, but the president has forced him into a very uncomfortable position where you have Republicans in both the House and the Senate objecting to the Electoral College and attempting to overturn the November results. This, again, this is a mere formality in U.S. history where we simply count the votes and read them aloud. But President Trump tweeting this morning, a short time ago, states want to correct their votes, which they now know were based on irregularities and fraud, plus corrupt process never received legislative approval. And here's the kicker. All Mike Pence has to do is send them back to the states and we win. Do it, Mike. This is a time for extreme courage. It is not, of course. The vice president, Mike Pence, knows his duty is to the Constitution. And as I said before, his duty is largely ceremonial in this capacity. He does not have the role to overturn this election. That is not his. What will happen, you will have again. Dozens, perhaps more than 100 object in the House. And the key is 13 U.S. senators. Senators objecting to the Electoral College. I think this is the real apprentice reboot, not on NBC, but on the GOP, attempting to cater to the president's dangerous delusions that he won this election in a landslide. He did not. Ultimately, 
this not only is an attack on the Constitution, but it's a waste of all of our time. They'll force a vote, they'll force a, force a debate, but they cannot and will not change anything as related to the November election. And the backdrop That's of this bill had 30, That's true. Anybody who tells you that we're going to get a different result other than Joe Biden becomes, you know, his, his victory is certified is lying to you. It's not going to happen. This is largely um, performative today. But I, I will say, you know, uh, to me, like, I don't like what's happening. I, I, it doesn't get us anywhere and it just c- prolongs this division and so on. But you know, the Democrats have objected like Maxine Waters got up there after Bush won in 2000 uh, in 2000. And she did the same thing. And by the way, she didn't even have a senator you know, to back her up. She's from D.C. She didn't have one. She's like, I don't care. And and I'll never forget because uh, Gore, Vice President Gore, who was the one who lost that presidential election to Bush after the Supreme Court's ruling, got up there and said, you may not care, but the rules care, madam. And he stood up for the rule of law. Anyway, what's going to happen today? You're right. Vice President Pence is supposed to just be a reader. He's supposed to be a reader of each state's vote. He's not really supposed to interfere. And you know what's going to be interesting to me is he the the New York Times reported that he is not going to interfere. And then Trump sent out a tweet yesterday saying that the New York Times reporting was wrong. But Trump but Pence hasn't said anything. So we're going to find out today who's telling the truth. Loyalty is a one-way street for the president, and that cost of that loyalty will be on display for the country. For Mike Pence, who has been blindly loyal to the president for four years in every way, shape, or form, and for the president to turn on him uh, for doing his job, for upholding his oath to the Constitution is a sad one. But what could get worse is 30,000 Trump supporters marching in D.C. today, and there is a lot of uh, traffic online about potential violence and mm-hmm. Trump will address those supporters marching in D.C. today. So it could be a very dark day in this nation's history. But Liz Cheney tweeting this morning, just a reminder, Congress has no authority to overturn elections by objecting to electors. Doing so steals power from the states and violates the Constitution. The conservative yeah. movement is about states' rights, uh, not to mention fiscal discipline, which both seem out the door. Right now. Oh, yeah. There's there's no question if this if the shoe were on the other foot and a Democrat were trying this, the Republicans would be losing their minds. <laughs> They'd be losing right. and, their minds. And if you're Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, you don't want to be cast in the same uh, boat as as Maxine Waters that you just you don't want to be right. compared to That's her. You point. are potential candidates in 24 and constitutional attorneys. All right. Can I ask you one other question? Because Please you do. mentioned Kamala Harris, who will become, you know, basically the, the deciding vote in the Senate as vice president. And there was news about her yesterday that I just I, I mean, I want to say I couldn't believe it, but I could believe it. And it, it's just to me, it somehow felt like the Hilaria, Hilaria Baldwin story where somebody's just pretending some nonsense about their past because they think it makes them sound good. Um, and for Kamala Harris, it was sh- this ridiculous story about her in the stroller at civil rights marches. Um, Let me just let the sound play. I'll let her tell the story and then we'll talk about what happened. Well, I was in a stroller. (laughs) I was in a stroller. And um, so I was out there. And in fact, my mother used to have a very funny story about I was fussing and, and, and she said, Kamala, what do you want? And I said, and this is how she would say it. And she said, Kamala, what do you want? And I said, tweet him. (laughs) 
Oh, come on. Sweet. It was a much cuter story when she would tell it, but that's the story she told. <laughs> OMG. Okay, so I, I'm sorry, but if, the maniacal laughter is weird. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just, it's odd. I don't know where it comes from, but that story was made up. It was either made up by Kamala or, you know, if you want to be really charitable to her, it was made up by her mother and she has just chosen to believe it because it was cribbed. It was cribbed from Martin Luther King, who told that story years ago, and she's decided to adopt it as her own. And it isn't true. And the media is like, yawn, we don't care. You know, and she's taking a page out of Joe Biden's book. I mean, that's that's how his political career began with plagiarism accusations uh, all over the all over the map. But, yeah, that's from a 1965 interview with Playboy magazine, similar to what MLK told Playboy magazine in 1965. And I think it strikes to we forget that Kamala Harris was a quick out in the primary, largely because what you see there, she's inauthentic. She's canned. She never responded well in the moment, never debated well. And that's why I don't think ultimately she's much of a threat in 2024. I don't think she'll get the nomination. I don't think no. Joe Biden runs for another term. But that inauthenticity, I think, cost her in the primary and will cost her again. She never knows who she wants to be, similar to what we saw with, with Hillary Clinton. So if she is the nominee, I think Republicans can feel good about their chances of taking back the White House in 24. So um, a guy on Twitter uh, who, who I follow tweeted out yesterday, since she cribbed this from MLK. And who can forget Kamala's famous, I have a dweem speech. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag freedom. (laughs) Sometimes Twitter is a force for good. (laughs) Well, the, the, the trending hashtag this morning, unfortunately for Republicans, you mentioned Twitter is hashtag by Mitch. That is the top trending story on Twitter because it looks like Mitch McConnell is the Senate Minority Leader, Chuck Schumer, Majority Leader, moving forward. Wow. Wow. Dave Briggs, thank you for the overview, my friend. Great to speak with you. Great to be here. Thanks, Megan. Oh, wow. Think about that. Chuck Schumer in charge in the Senate, Nancy Pelosi in charge in the House, and Joe Biden at the top with the squad nipping on his ears. Um Brace yourselves, America. We're going we're going on a journey. And you know what? Can I just say just for a minute? Um, if you're a Republican or you're more of a centrist like I am, I, you know, I said I'm center right. I don't see this as all bad because people are going to be fired up. They're going to be motivated now. You know, if it were divided government and Joe Biden was moderating his behavior, um, I don't know. I think maybe there would be less controversy or there's going to be controversy coming up and people are going to get fired up. I mean, don't forget what happened with the Tea Party in 2010 and, uh, you know, electing um, switching the balance of power in 2010 and people marching in the streets and those town halls that we all witnessed. America was angry about the far left agenda being shoved down our throats without majority support in Obamacare. And um, I I predict you're going to see something like that if if this government tries to swing us too far left. I really do. And, uh, you know, as I as I point out, at best, one of those Georgia Senate seats, the one held by Warnock, lasts for two years. 
And then there's another election there. So, okay, we're going to get to Hugh Hewitt to talk about all this in one second. But first, I want to tell you about Black Rifle Coffee Company. Do you have a subscription? You need one. I have one. I highly recommend it. I like medium ground. The dark ground is awesome as well. Depends on your personal preference. But this is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love America. Hopefully you're feeling that right now. You may not love the government. Maybe you do. But love the coffee by buying Black Rifle Coffee. The veteran CEO founder Evan Hafer spent over seven years on the ground overseas with U.S. Special Forces and as a CIA contractor. Evan even modified his gun trucks during the invasion of Iraq to grind coffee anywhere. He's been doing this for a while. Black Rifle Coffee Company is continually committed to supporting veterans, law enforcement, and first responder causes. With the company's buy a bag, give a bag campaign, they make sure to give the gift of America's coffee to those that serve around the globe. Who else can say that in the coffee field? Black Rifle offers, offers a variety of roast profiles, as I mentioned, all sourced from around the world through a rigorous process and roasted in the U.S. at their facilities in Tennessee and Utah. The team at Black Rifle Coffee is continually researching, experimenting with new roasting methods and coffee origins, and their gear is actually really good. I love the dark black mug with the white writing on it. It just makes me feel like, yeah, coffee. Uh, the best way to enjoy this thing is through the coffee club. That's what I'm in. You can get a free subscription where your chosen coffee's roasted package and shipped free to your door and your schedule. In addition to the convenience, you'll receive special discounted pricing and gain access to exclusive products, etc. So get the freshest coffee in America without leaving the couch. Go to blackriflecoffee.com MK and use the code MK at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. Joining me now, Hugh Hewitt, host of the Hugh Hewitt Show. Hugh, it's great to have you. And, uh, you know, let's just start with it, it looks like the Republicans lost both seats. Your reaction. Let's get to why in one second. But your reaction to that reality. Uh, it is difficult to process. I went to bed last night because I had to get up at 430 to prepare for my show, which is done now. And I thought maybe there was a chance that David Perdue could hold on and that I might wake up to good news. But I didn't. I woke up to what is, in effect, uh, a certain Ossoff win. I don't believe the military ballots or the outstanding ballots can close a 14,000 vote gap, which is somewhere where it is, it, and recounts, et cetera. It might need a recount, but it's a, it's a Democratic Senate, a Democratic House, and a Joe Biden presidency. And so we've been here before, 2009. We've been here before in uh, January of, of uh, 1993, and we've been here before in January of 1997. I mean, 19, yeah, 19... 77. It's not the end of the world. It's also not particularly pleasant. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think forward to what we're looking at in terms of agenda, you know, foreign policy, immigration, uh, environmental uh, regulations, taxes, healthcare, And I <laughs> I worry. I worry it's going to go far left. It's not going to be center left. It's going to go far left. Do you think that's realistic? Uh, it's going to go left. I think Joe Manchin and Angus King and Jack Reed uh, provide us some security blankets in the Senate. And I believe the the narrowness of the Democratic majority in the House, whether it ends up being six to 10 votes, it still kind of depends upon what happens in New York 22 and the Iowa race. But they are sufficiently narrow in the House that people will be looking over their shoulder at crazy stuff and saying, no, thank you, Nancy. And in the Senate, I actually believe Angus King is a great patriot. 
he's an independent. He's a Mainer, and uh, he was co-chair with Mike Gallagher on the Cyber Solarium, uh, a, a key defense issue. He's on uh, armed services. Jack Reed, he's a veteran, knows armed services. And I, I think uh, Chris uh, uh, Coons is also kind of a sane person. So I do expect taxes to skyrocket. Uh, I think the corporate tax rate will go back to 28, maybe even 32 percent. I expect the tax breaks that President Trump's reform extended to small businesses will be erased. I expect immigration to be rather quickly attached to a reconciliation and Green New Deal, perhaps a carbon tax. Uh, There will be some definite shifts, but it's not the disaster that was expected in November. Had this result occurred, Megan, on November the 2nd, we still we being Republicans, I don't want to put you in my camp. I'm outwardly and always have been a Republican. We Republicans would be still relatively happy with the result of November because it wasn't a blue wave and it's still not a blue wave. It's a 50-50 country with the reins and the Democratic hands on a few issues that will decide 2022. How on earth did the Republicans lose this? Well, great question. I think two things. Uh, Governor Kemp, one of the rules I have in life is don't make uh, easy decisions hard. And he had an easy decision when uh, Johnny Isaacson had to retire. He could have named Doug Collins, and it would have been an easy walk to victory in the general. Instead, he listened only to himself and the consultants who surrounded him and Kelly Leffler, who were intent on running a so-called woman for the suburbs. Well, she's a billionaire and she's never run for anything. And she was no, a disaster as a candidate. Nice lady, to terrible anyone. candidate. So that's yeah. on Kemp. The last two months are on the president because um, you cannot have a battle between the president and the governor and not turn off at least five to 10 percent. Democrats turned out. Republicans didn't turn out in the numbers that they needed. It's on both of their doorsteps. What do you make of Lynn Wood? You know, in that rally that we saw and, uh, you know, one of the stop the steal rallies where he got up there and said, don't vote. And, you know, the White House was quick to distance itself from him. But it was very well publicized, of course, because the media loved that message. Um, And there are a lot of ticked off Republicans in Georgia who are Trump voters who may have seen it as a middle finger to the party, to the system to just stay at home. Uh, I, I don't think Linwood helped. I also don't think he was particularly significant or Powell. The whole Kraken nonsense, uh, the longer it went on, the the less attached to the reality of the political situation it became, and it became something of a joke. And I think Linwood is now a joke. And therefore, I, I didn't count it so much. But the Raffensperger presidential conversation of two days ago, that Raffensperger leaked it, is incendiary in a party structure. Uh, and I, you know, this is a question of 1%, 1% of the party staying away and you know, being at 85% instead of 87%. If the 1% that was coming decided to stay home, you're not at 87, you're at 85. And it, it's a, it is a, or, or you energize 1% on the other side by virtue of that. So it's a game of inches like football when the runoff like this is so close and everybody owns uh, part of the loss. I do. I'm glad you mentioned the media played up every story that benefited Democrats and they suffocated every story that hurt them. 
There are major character concerns about Pastor Warnick. Major character concerns. Major. They received almost no attention from the national news media. They wanted the Democrats to win. And I don't, I will not accept anyone believing that they were other than 100% in on Raphael Warnick and John Ossoff. John Ossoff has nothing to recommend him over David Perdue, except that he had uh, Raphael Warnock on that ticket. Mm-hmm. This is a guy, Warnock, who is has uh, defended Fidel Castro, who said you can't serve the military and God at the same time. And the Democrats, Hugh, who not too long ago were lecturing us and Brett Kavanaugh about how we must believe all women, didn't seem to give a damn about what Raphael Warnock's ex-wife was saying is his character. Here's she she claimed that he ran over her foot with his car. Uh, he denied that, but the problem seemed much bigger than that with respect to his character as defined by her. You, uh, we have a little bit of a back and forth between the two of them, but you tell me how the media would have treated this story if Raphael Warnock were a Republican. Listen in. All right, so you walked over. So I'm like, move, and she won't move, and she's keeping the door open. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, Chloe, just stay in the car. And I move, and I close the, my car door, get in the car, and I start to move slightly. <laughs> thinking she's here. Clear. Yeah, I'm thinking she's clear. And I barely moved. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden she's screaming that I ran over her foot. I don't believe it. This man's running for United States Senate and all he cares about right now is his reputation. I work at the mayor's office and this is a big problem. I've been trying to be very quiet about the way that he is for the sake of my kids and his reputation. I've tried to keep the way that he acts under wraps for a long time and today he crossed the line. So that is what is going on here. And he's a great actor. He is phenomenal at putting on a really good show. You didn't hear that uh, on every 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 cable news show on the front of the New York Times and the New Yorker in-depth profiles on her Ronan Farrow. You know, the full treatment didn't happen. Did not happen. And, uh, you know, he's up for re-election again in two years. And will this metastasize? Will it cripple him? Will it haunt him? It would haunt a Republican. I I, I do have to add, though, Megan, uh, you've watched enough people in politics for so long. You know a good candidate from a bad one immediately. Kelly Loeffler is a terrible candidate. Do you realize I invited her on for 60 consecutive days? Open invitation, Senator Loeffler. Come on the Hugh Hewitt Show, 14 affiliates in Georgia, drive time, highest rated show in Atlanta for a, a talk show in the morning. She declined for 60 straight days. Now, Senator Purdue came on, Sonny Purdue came on, Republicans galore came on, surrogates came on, Kelly uh, Leffler hid. What's that tell you about her? You know people. Mm-hmm. What's that tell her? Tell you. Yeah, she she couldn't do it. She knew she didn't have the goods. She she's she's a poser. She's a billionaire poser who thought it would make her look good and seem smart to have this seat. But she didn't want to actually answer to her constituents. And she thought she could buy the seat. And in Mm -hmm. fact, you can't buy anything in American politics. You can buy your way into a meeting. You can buy a meeting with a senator. You can buy a lot of lobbyists, but you can't buy votes. And no matter how hard you try, if there's no there there, if you're just a nice person, I think she's a nice person. I do. But I think she married her money. And I believe that she has got a record of accomplishment that is extraordinarily thin and that Brian Kemp lost this election the, and the Senate 
when he appointed her instead of Doug Collins to that seat? You know, her again, her opponent is pretty radical, right? So Warnock's going in because he beat her. And I know that, you know, you and I, as people who are farther to the right on the ideological scale than James Carville, think that these comments are controversial, the things he said. But Carville came out and said, look, she thinks she's attacking a preacher's words by using some of these comments like God, the military, but she's really attacking the black church. And that, he said, has spectacularly backfired. So he thinks these attacks on on Warnock and what he said from the pulpit, because he's a preacher, um, worked against him because the black vote turned out in record numbers to support the Democrats in Georgia last night. It did. I do not believe, however, that that Jim is uh, James is right about that. I, I am not a stranger to the black church. I don't I don't belong to one, but I've attended enough of them. And I have a number of friends who are pastors of uh, AME churches and uh, they've never said anything like that. They've never said you cannot serve God in the military. Uh, I played that probably a hundred times in the last two months because I wanted Georgia's a military state and uh, I wanted the military to understand Pastor Warnick's view of their service. He is a radical theologian. I, I don't believe that the black church generally is that radical. And so I didn't see the ads. The one thing that I have not lived in is the Georgia envelope where the the raining down on Warnick and Ossoff of negative ads was relentless. It was a $550 million campaign, which is so staggering that's three California campaigns. And, and so it's every ad opportunity on every medium plus internet ads by the score. And it may have indeed turned into a solidarity issue. Damn the facts, damn the torpedoes. I am voting for the pastor because he's being assailed to this extent. That may have happened, but I don't think it was their choice of excerpt. It may have been identity politics, though. Yeah. Well, it's amazing because Trump did better with the black vote nationally. I mean, he basically increased his share of it by 50 percent, even though the numbers overall remained low um, during the November election. But the black vote did in the Republicans <clears throat> in Georgia last night. What what do you think? You know, I know on your show, you've been reminding listeners about Senator Schumer's pledge. Now we take Georgia, then we change America. So what? I don't know. I mean, yeah, as as Glenn Beck likes to say, you know, when people tell you what they're going to do, you you should believe them and uh, sort of a take off on the Maya Angelou quote. And uh, I kind of believe Chuck Schumer is going to change America, that he wants to change America and that and he's probably a stronger leader than Joe Biden is. You may not like him, but he's probably stronger. So what does that mean? I certainly think Trump's legacy on judges will start to get undone. Um, They're definitely not. Those judges are not going to look like Trump's judges. That's not a huge surprise. But what are the areas that you are concerned about? Well, you just hit the number one. Uh, If Mitch McConnell controlled the Senate, uh, the president, President Biden, would get many of his judges, but not all of them. Now he will get all of them. Uh, And they will move uh, the Overton window for Biden judges just moved left so that the California Supreme Supreme Court justices that I'm worried about will end up on the Ninth Circuit. That will go down. So the moderating influence of a Republican majority has vanished. Uh, I do not expect Senators Manchin and Senators King to interfere with judges the way that they might on the filibuster, as I expect they will on the filibuster on D.C. statehood, on expanding the Supreme Court. That will not fly. Uh, the filibuster they're, they're won't change, and so that won't happen. But nominations are a 50-50 deal. 
and I expect most of them will come. So Mitch McConnell has to adopt Chuck Schumer slow walking. They've got to slow walk in a disciplined way everything, and he cannot seal it up. And so they're going, luckily, there isn't one vacancy on the circuit courts right now. There will suddenly appear many vacancies. I think Justice Breyer will call it quits at the end of this um, at the end of this term, because I want to remind a lot of your listeners, Megan, you'll remember it. In 2001, it was a 50-50 Senate when the smoke cleared in January of 2001. And by June, it was 51-49 Democrats because one Democrat switched. Well, life happens. Uh, people die, people quit, people change their minds, and people jump parties. And so I expect the Democrats to do the one thing Republicans have never done, which is run. I mean, they're going to try and run the clock. They're going to stay in session. They're going to run, run, run. Mm -hmm. And Senator McConnell knows that body very, very well, as does Senator Thune. They're going to be maxed out in trying to delay the Democrats as much as the Democrats delayed President Trump. It'll be fascinating from a, you know, a scholarly point of view to see who's better at obstruction. But Chuck Schumer set the bar pretty high. Well, what you know, what do you think the big agenda items will be for Biden? Because you looked at when Barack Obama came into power and we we had one sixth of the U.S. economy altered by Obamacare. Now, he had a much bigger mandate than Joe Biden does, who just who got like dragged across the finish line by Democratic operatives who weekend at Bernie'd him right over, you know, into November to to the White House. And now he's got a very, very slim margin. I mean, it's basically an evenly divided Senate with Kamala Harris set to cast the deciding vote. They lost seats in the House. So assuming like most of us do, that the, the American public is likely to divide the government in two years. What does he do in these first two years? What do you think are his most? Because he promised amnesty, Hugh. He, he openly promised amnesty at the presidential debate and beyond. That's that would be huge. <laughs> but what do you think he's going to use that collateral for? You see, the, the president gets two bites at the apple. He gets the reconciliation process in uh, uh, the next year, and then he gets the reconciliation process in 2022. So he gets a 2021 reconciliation package and a 2022 reconciliation. That only requires 51 votes in the Senate. And a reconciliation package is by law, and the, and the parliamentarian will rule out of order anything that does not affect the budget. So I believe the first thing he will do will be to raise taxes comprehensively. And the Green New Deal taxes will be a part of that. So that carbon tax is, I think, the very first thing. Uh, up the tax on corporations, up the tax on small businesses, return the state and local income tax deduction, and perhaps the mortgage interest deduction, which has been crushing blue states' revenues. Uh, I, I think they that all goes into the first reconciliation bill. The second one is immigration, because you can maybe squeeze it in by taxing new citizens or new residents. So if you said everybody who's in the country can become a citizen by virtue of paying a tax of a few hundred dollars, then it becomes a tax and spending issue and is, is qualified, I think, for reconciliation. I think those are the two big issues that he can accomplish with a 50 Democrat Senate. Mm. That, There's I mean, also wonder, the Congressional right Review Act, on. Megan, and people forget that, that the Congressional Review Act provides that by simple majority, any regulation passed in the last year can be repealed. And uh, there was a lot of work done by the Trump administration in the last year, particularly out of the Environmental Protection Agency. I always note my son works there so that 
no one claims a conflict of interest. Not for long, he doesn't work there, but he worked there now. And uh, they did a lot of work this year, and that's all going to be repealed. Oh, yeah. I mean, all those Trump executive orders, those those are all going away. But we knew that as soon as Joe Biden won. Now it's it's a bigger question of what can be done with the cooperation of, you know, the, the co-equal branches of government, one of which he's going to stack with more left leaning judges and one of which he's he now controls as the Democrats appear to take power in both branches of the House and the Senate. And don't forget, Obamacare was shoved through through that same reconciliation. It was a, it was an economic um, budget move, which is why they only required 51 votes instead of 60 at the time. And that was why the Scott Brown election was so important in Massachusetts and so on and so forth. Anyway, um, I, I don't know. I think things could get more radical and I think they could, it could happen soon. It's funny because you're right. You've got guys like Manchin of West, West Virginia who are not not far left people at all. You know, that guy's at best center left. But then you got people like Mitt Romney who I'm amazed at what's happened to Mitt Romney. Did you have you been seeing the videos that have been circulating of people harassing him like in the in the airport and so on? But Mitt Romney sounds an awful lot more like a Democrat to me than any other guy I ever saw get the Republican nomination for president. Well, I'm a big fan of Governor Romney. I, I helped him write his book, Megan, uh, when he ran for president. I wrote a book about him myself. So I am a very, very big fan of, of Governor and now Senator Romney. He voted instantly for Amy Coney Barrett, came out on the first day and said, I'm voting for Barrett. I believe he is a traditional uh, New England Republican who happened to be uh, transplanted to California and then to Utah, and that, like traditional New England Republicans, he is center-right and more on the center than the right. But I don't believe he'll vote for tax. He's a business guy. He's not going to vote for uh, business-destroying taxes. He won't vote for crazy left-wing judges. He won't approve. He is like Rob Portman old school Republican, <clears throat> country club Republicans, they used to be called, and they still matter and they're suburban. And I don't think the harassment you've seen is the underlying breach in the Republican Party. The fault line in the GOP is between Trumpists and old guard. And I try and keep everybody happy and I try and listen to everybody because I want everyone to get along. I don't know. That is the that is the question. Can there be a reconciliation? The heirs to Trump in my mind, are Ron DeSantis, Tom Cotton, and Mike Pompeo. Uh, I don't think Ted Cruz is in that category. I don't think anyone who ran against him actually in 2016 can pick up the mantle without MAGA America being upset. But I think those three people can, and maybe Nikki Haley as a fourth, and maybe Dan Crenshaw as a fifth. But that's going to be the debate in 2023, 24 is, what does the president do and to whom does he do it? I don't know. I, I've always respected Mitt Romney, but he he's been so sharp in his criticism of the president and the president's supporters that I understand their anger at him. He he I mean, the people of Utah are ticked off. They wanted a Republican to go in there and support a Republican agenda. And Mitt Romney, he's been so all over the board in hating President Trump, supporting President Trump, going back to President Trump on bended knee, then attacking President Trump. I understand why people have developed this feeling about him. I don't like to see anybody get harassed just as a human matter. But um, I don't know. He seems to go. He's at the Black Lives Matter protest. It's like, do you know what you're protesting for? Do you actually know what that group stands for? Like he he to me looks awfully awfully democratic uh these days and i i do wonder when push comes to shove what constituency he's serving and i look i like the guy I moderated one of his conferences it's not like i have any problem with mitt romney the man just like as a politician he seems an awful lot more to the left than 
most of those GOPers. So listen, I want to do two things. I want to quickly get an ad in, but I also want to talk about Jacob Blake quickly, um, who, you know, was the uh, was the was the man who was shot in Kenosha, Wisconsin. He was not killed, but he was shot repeatedly by a police officer. There's been news in that case. But before we get to it, I want to talk to the audience about Truthfinder. Have you ever Googled yourself? Pretty much everybody has. Have you ever Googled your neighbors? You don't have to tell me. You can just answer in your head. Well, the majority of Americans admit to keeping an eye on their online reputation. But Google and Facebook are just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to finding public records. There is an innovative new website called Truthfinder, and it is now revealing the full scoop on millions of Americans. Truthfinder can search through hundreds of millions of public records in a matter of minutes. Truthfinder members can begin searching in seconds for sensitive data like criminal traffic and arrest records. And so before you bring someone new into your life, before you do that, and around the people you love most, consider trying Truthfinder. What you find may shock you. This might be the most important web search that you ever do. Go to truthfinder.com slash Kelly right away to start your search. Again, that's truthfinder.com slash Kelly. Okay, Hugh, so um, I want to get back to politics and what's happening with the presidential race in a second. But quickly, on Jacob Blake, this is one of the cases that we saw over the summer that led to massive protests. It led to that shooting we saw in Wisconsin later with Kyle Rittenhouse at that uh, one protest uh, for which he's facing charges. And it all came down to an incident in which Jacob Blake, who was uh, accused of violating a protective order that his ex had gotten against him, showed up at her house in a threatening way. She called the police. They showed up. He resisted arrest. Um, He got the cop in a headlock. Some of the scuffle was caught on camera, but not all of it. And he wound up getting shot by a police officer seven times. Unleash, you know, hell, because the protests happened. Kamala Harris went to visit him in the hospital, said she was proud of him. Um, and and many people taking a look at the at these facts thought, why are you proud of him? He was accused of digitally raping the woman uh, that called the police on him. And at best, he assaulted a police officer who was trying to place him under arrest for violating a protective order. It's not to say he deserved to get shot seven times, but you don't go tell somebody like that they're proud of him, um, that you're proud of him. And and what the facts appeared to suggest at the time was that Jacob Blake was armed, that the reason he got shot is because A, he resisted arrest. B, he had an, a knife on him and refused to drop it, despite the police's calls that he do so. And then he turned with the knife on police. And that is when they opened fire. OK, people refused to accept this, even though the evidence was there. Third parties, uh, the police union came out early on and the D.A. And I'll tell you what they're saying now. Yesterday, the Kenosha D.A. said, we're not charging this cop. It is incontrovertible, incontrovertible that Jacob Blake was armed. And um, we've got some of that. Let's take a listen to what he said. Very important. Jacob Blake, while actively resisting, arms himself with a knife. I continue to hear. I think I heard at uh, the rally last night, the vigil, where someone again said he was unarmed. It is absolutely incontrovertible that Jacob Blake was armed with a knife during this encounter. Okay, so that was obvious to anyone paying attention to this case from the beginning. And you could see what appeared to be a knife uh, on the on the in the car that he approached. And the police from the beginning had been saying that he had it on him and then turned against them with it. Here's the thing. Here's here. Here's the rub. Hugh, the media takes these cases, blows them up 
without context, without an open mind, without even deigning to report what the police officer's side is and tries to make it a race issue, a police abuse issue. You and I both know as lawyers, the law makes no distinction between bullet number one and bullet number seven. If the cop has has a reasonable fear of bodily safety or death, he may shoot to kill. That's the law. I realize it doesn't look good or feel good to see an officer shoot a man seven times, but people don't understand what it's like to be a cop. And, and have to worry every night that he's not going to go home to his family and understand that every day in this country, a cop gets gets shot by somebody he's trying to arrest. So I, I here's here's my issue with it. Number one, the media and number two, activists who will refuse to acknowledge this, as the Kenosha DA says, they will refuse to acknowledge that Jacob Blake was armed and had assaulted a police officer. And they did have a reasonable fear, fear for their bodily safety or lives. And that's why no one's going to be charged. Um, and I'll just say one other thing in it. I tweeted out an article that that reflected the police officer's side and the DA's suggestion that this guy was armed, that he had a knife at the time. Well, the Internet lost its mind, attacked me, racist, racist, racist. One awful person in particular, Soledad O'Brien, who I really can't stand. She's the nastiest person on Twitter, um, attacked me with a racist insult um, for saying that. Somebody tweeted out yesterday, where's where's your apology to Megyn Kelly? I don't need an apology. It's not about me. But here's the problem. The media does this. Anybody who pushes back on these narratives gets called an awful name. The media has no interest in reporting the truth. They try to shut you down by calling you terrible terms. This is what's real. And the reason I have never gotten one of these cases wrong, not once, I've always been able to tell you whether the cop is going to get charged or not, is because I just pay attention to where the facts take me. I don't have an ideological agenda on this stuff. I'm not some activist. And I think we're in a lot of trouble in this country when it comes to race relations and other issues right now, because we have a dishonest media that's more focused on identity politics and virtue signaling than they are on facts, Hugh. Yeah, I, I, I agree. They have to distinguish between uh, unjustified uses of force and justified uses of force. This came home to me uh, when Michael Eric Dyson was my guest on my show recently. He has a new book out, Long Time Coming, which I would recommend to everyone, which revisits uh, most of the high-profile cases of the last uh, decade, including Michael Brown and, and, and Michael Eric Dyson. Dr. Dyson and I disagreed about Michael Brown because I'm very intimately familiar with the Michael Brown shooting, and Dr. Dyson believes it was unjust, and I believe, look, it was an Eric Holder Department of Justice that exonerated the officer. In the Kenosha case, there's one factor also you did not mention, Megan. There were children in the car, and if he had been allowed to drive away, he would have had three children in imminent danger of their lives in an excited state and with a weapon and with police pursuit. So I, I've always thought that this was a case that that ought to have cautioned the media to slow down. But like you, I bring a lawyer's perspective to everything. I've never taught criminal law, but I've taught a lot, taught a lot of um, uh, constitutional cases involving the criminal law. And it always does come down to the moment in which the incident occurs and not to people on the sidelines. My own newspaper, The Washington Post, I believe had to issue a correction yesterday because they oh. they said uh, uh, Mr. Blake was unarmed and they had to rush out. Well, in fact, he was armed. And so like Michael Brunt, this is not an Eric Garner case. This is not a George Floyd case. This is a different case. And however, I, I do understand, and it's the reason I encourage people to read Michael Eric Dyson, I understand the point of view of activists who say, don't confuse the facts with the trend. And the trend is that uh, the police approach blacks differently than they approach every other American group. There's an argument there. That argument, however, does not 
make policemen go to jail or punish them when they are in fear of bodily harm or when they have to go to the aid of three children in the back of a vehicle uh, being about to be operated by an individual who's just been in a fight with the police and is armed. Uh, mm -hmm. So to me, the best thing to do is to take race out of the case, examine it, and then add race back in. And usually well, and if, if you do that, you'll get to the right answer. If you talk to Glenn Lowry, he'll be quick to tell you, Hugh, that there's that, that the reason the police approach people of color differently than everybody else is because the crime rates in the major cities, uh, it's not popular to say, but 60 percent of the murders in major cities are, are committed by black defendants. And so there is there is empirical data that may make the police approach in certain cities in particular, people of color differently than than white people or other other groups of uh, of potential suspects. It, it's not popular, but these are facts and they have to be taken into account when assessing police behavior. Oh, now, I have to show you a quick story, Megan. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, in, in the first presidential debate I did after your famous debate, I got the second debate at the Reagan Library and I had to drive very quickly from Palo Alto to uh, uh, the Reagan Library. And I was driving at night and I may have been exceeding the speed limit. I will not confess to that, but I may have been going fast and my gas cap may have been open. But uh, it was because I was in a hurry. I had to make rehearsal and you know how that goes. So I got pulled over by a chippy in, in, in California who approached the car and I decided I would do the dishonorable thing. I played the debate card. I said, well, I have to get down to the Reagan Library. I'm, I'm in the debate. And he looked at me and he walked back to his car and he Honest to goodness, check to see if Hugh Hewitt was on the debate panel. And he came back and said, okay, I'm going to let you go. Would you get out of the car for a moment? I said, sure. Got out of the car and he said, I'm going to let you go. But on the condition that you ask those candidates, when are they going to stand up for the police who are being fronted as I was last night on this stretch by every motorist who believes it's in their interest now to confront police. Fronting mean uh, to stand close to a police officer and argue with them. Uh, I didn't ask the question. Jake did. Uh, but it was... It was a re revelation to me. He wasn't asking for any particular point of view, just to let the public know that the life of the police officer has grown increasingly difficult with attention to every controversial case, increasingly impossible to do. Yeah, I know. I mean, listen, I don't want to discount that, that there's any bias in law enforcement or uh, that, that black men in particular get treated differently by the cops and not, al not always for good reasons. Um, but we do have to keep in mind the overall statistics and factoring in what happens in these interactions and getting to the root cause of why that happens. It, it, everyone just knee jerk bias, 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 race, 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 racists uh, isn't helpful. There's so much more to it. And if we would just be honest about what causes these crime rates and how we can help people in the inner city do better and, and have better lives and, and be less likely to resort to crime without just saying everyone's racist, it's white supremacy. I think we get a lot farther. To, just to put the point on what you said, the Washington Post did tweet out yesterday. Unbelievable. Um, here's the quote. Police officers won't be charged in shooting of Jacob Blake, an unarmed black man who was shot seven times in the back in Kenosha, Wisconsin. How disgustingly wrong. I won't make you criticize your publication, but I'll do it. Disgustingly wrong. And they're not the only ones. I mean, that narrative has been pushed by a lot of people. Um, OK, moving on. Uh, Can we stop I for a second, man? Yeah, I, yeah, go for it. I want people to note what Megan just did there. And it, it's a professional courtesy not to ask someone to critique their own platform. But in this case, it is an inexcusable error and one that the Post immediately corrected because it is an inexcusable error on a 
controversy of extraordinary public importance that could lead to violence in public demonstrations to get the basic facts wrong. Inexcusable mm -hmm. error. Yeah, well, it's good they corrected it. I will say that. Um, okay, so let's let's talk about the presidency, which is still being debated today, Hugh. Um, today, as you know, we're supposed to have um, Mike Pence preside um, over the finalization of these electoral votes. He's being pressured by the president to not do it. It's the certification of the vote of the Electoral College. Uh, Senator Hawley, Senator Cruz are promising to object, to make waves. And in order to have real debate on any of this, you have to have a member of the House and a member of the Senate. And you've got them both on several states object. And then they have debates in their own individual chambers. And then they come back and they see if there's they, anyway, the bottom line is nothing. No, this is all for show. Nothing's going to change. Biden's going to get, you know, certified. Um, but what do you make of what's happening today? A couple of things. One, it happened in 2004 and 2016. Uh, Democrats making the objections, the debates being triggered. And so I don't think it's a constitutional crisis. I don't think it's the end of the republic. I think it has become now part of the pattern and practice that will now follow presidential elections forever, that um, some members of the public will ask their representatives, key word there, to represent them with their dismay at some aspect. It was Ohio in 2004 and 2016. I'm not sure what animated the objectors, but it is not a constitutional crisis. It's the exercise of uh, representation responsibility. I do not, I would not myself object and I would not uh, myself participate in any debate that uh, trafficked in falseness. Uh, I, I have to deal every day with callers who want to talk about Dominion. There's nothing wrong with the Dominion machines. I have to talk every day, had to talk about today about dead people voting. There is no evidence of dead people voting. This is again, the lawyer and both of us coming out. 60 different legal challenges were filed and in not one of them was an evidentiary bar met that would allow it to proceed to the accumulation of evidence by deposition or exhibit such that judgments would be made following rulings and so there just isn't a case anywhere in the United States, not one state, not two state, not the minimum of three states necessary. So this is performance art and performance art in politics is just fine. Uh, and what I don't like, and we're back to double standards, is that which was uncontroversial and covered sympathetically in 2004 and 2016 is being treated as a rending of the republic in 2020 because it's Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley and Jim Langford bringing it forward. I would not myself object, but I also I do object to the idea that this is some kind of crisis. I agree with you on that. I agree with you. If there's a if there if there is a provision for it happening in the Constitution, it's not it's not by definition a constitutional abuse to then do it. You know, it's like people are like exactly. it's a constitutional crisis. Like, well, how can it be a crisis if the Constitution allows for this very thing? You just don't. It's making you uncomfortable. You don't like it. That doesn't make it a constitutional crisis. Oh, if we um, could just oh. repeat that again. And, and if the president doesn't go to the inauguration, that's not a constitutional crisis. Uh, if he doesn't have Joe Biden over to the White House, it's not a constitutional crisis. A no. constitutional crisis is when the Constitution is ignored or broken. It's not when it's actually the, the pattern of law or practice is uh, is established and is being followed by a different party. So. Let me ask you about the next two weeks, right? So Joe Biden's going to get certified today. And um, what does Trump do over the next two weeks before the inauguration? Or do we expect more pardons? And if so, which ones? Uh, I don't know. 
I, I'm waiting to see. I mean, he's still going to be saying what he's saying about the electoral process. And there's a big rally in D.C. today. But what do you think we could expect? I think we will see more pardons. Uh, full disclosure, I put my name to a pardon effort uh, for a. Uh, Why would you do? No, just I just kidding. sent a note to a member of the staff saying, I think this fellow deserves it. A longtime rehabilitated prisoner who's active in evangelical circles. And I don't think that's uh, I bad. Think that's routine at the end of the administration. It was routine when I was in the White House. People get pardon applications and people ask sure. all the time. And sometimes it works. Not It wouldn't be high profile. It wouldn't be controversial. It's nothing like that. But I, I do believe there will be more pardons because it's the last thing a president can do. I hope there are no yeah. corrupt pardons. I, I do also think that he will be uh, expansive in his grants of Medal of Freedoms. Uh, I, I'm not sure that I would have given one to Devin Nunes and Jim Jordan. I like them both, but it's not Medal of Freedom <laughs> stuff. But that's the pre- again, it's up to him. Uh, it, it, it's it's uh, performance art again. And the Democrats do it when they're in power and the president's going to do it when he's in power. I, I would just I would just say to everybody, it will be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Yep. Uh, and and the president's going to decide for himself when he's not president anymore how to conduct himself. And that will be fine. And Joe Biden will be president and that will be fine. We live in the best time ever to be alive and the best country ever to be alive in. And I, I think sometimes we get caught up in the I mean, we're talking on a podcast and a new way of communicating. So the ups and downs, if we can keep our eyes on the Chinese Communist Party, which is crushing Hong Kong this week. That yep. would be a good thing as opposed to our foibles. And these are just foibles in the larger scheme of things. No, no. We would rather navel gaze about pigmentation and lady parts. That's what we're focused on. these Exactly. Days um, so what do you think, just quickly, the, the future of the GOP party? Because I, I do wonder, I, after last night in Georgia, people are saying, oh, Trump, you know, he's a drag. He's a drag. I'm, <laughs> he's um, not a drag. He's half the party. Uh, I, so I think what what's happens happen, now? Because he's he's gonna he's gonna exit the White House, though not the national stage. Exactly, and he's never gonna give up the Twitter account, and nor should he. I think he's gonna start Trump twenty twenty four immediately. Whether or not he runs, that will remain open, but he'll raise a lot of money. His endorsements will matter significantly. I hope he has good uh, advisors around him on the candidate selection process, because we do not need. Uh, fringe candidates, they will lose as they did in the first Tea Party years. Uh, easy seats like Delaware. Chris Coons was there because we ran a very marginal person who beat Mike Castle in a primary. Mike Castle would have been a Republican senator like Mitt Romney, Senator Wright, who would still be there to this day. I don't think he died. And uh, instead, it's been Chris Coons. So we need to be wise, but uh, not much will be discernible until after the redistricting is done. The key thing for the Republican Party is to recruit it's it's sort of like um, media has got to go younger, 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 and it's got to get rid of the, uh, frankly, people like my age. They've got to pass <laughs> from the scene and let new people expressing new points of view rise up and take control of the party. And that transition is never easy. But if the Republicans do one thing right, which is to candidate recruit the way that uh, Tom Emmer did this time for the House cycle, if Mitch McConnell does that, they do have to persuade Pat Toomey to run again in Pennsylvania, but they can have a pretty good cycle. If they come up with a woman veteran in Colorado who was in combat, they can beat Michael Bennett in 2022. If they come up with a woman veteran in Georgia, she can beat Raphael Warnick in 2022. There's a lot of opportunity because we actually, we being Republicans again, I don't want to make you a member of my party, Megan. I know you're an independent. Uh, yes. My party can very much win everything back in two and four years like we did in 2010 and, and 2016. 
And just to reiterate, you you were sort of calling out who you thought were the, was the future uh, in terms of presidential politics of 2024. You mentioned DeSantis of Florida, Crenshaw, possibly. Who else did you say? Tom Cotton, Mike Pompeo, and Nikki Haley, I would guess, are the front runners because I do think anyone who ran against President Trump in 2016 has a burden in the eyes of MAGA America, whereas those who are generally supportive of him do not. Not even Ted Cruz? I mean, I know you said earlier no, but like he's gone full Trump. You know, he's, a, he's a, one of his biggest supporters. It, it, it still remains difficult, in my view, to see someone stepping up who has uh, crossed swords with the president. He's got the longest memory ever, uh, and uh, <laughs> it, it just will come into play in that cycle. What about Tim Scott? Very, very, very viable candidate. And I think, boy, it would be great if he did. Uh, I, he likes being a senator, though, uh, Megan. I've talked to him on a few occasions about policy. He really likes being a senator. And there are some people like Mitch McConnell who are called to the Senate for their entire lives. And I, I, I think maybe Tom Cotton may end up being one of those, but he also has ambitions for the highest office. And what's interesting, we've learned in the last uh, two cycles, when the moment is upon you, you cannot hesitate. You have to run. And so I think it's going to be 24 people and you and I are going to be moderating debates throughout the Republican primary season, double the number that we did in, in 2016. Mm. I'm going to put another name on your list. And I realize he's uh, he's only an AG, a state AG. But Daniel Cameron, I I got eyes Amen. on Daniel Cameron. He is a rising star in the Republican Party. He, I think he's sort of the the Barack Obama of the right. And he'll you know, be a governor by that time because he, he will totally win the governorship of Kentucky in the next cycle. He's 100 percent going to be a governor and he's brilliant. He's brave. He doesn't care what you're going to say about him. All the names he's been called after he refused to uh, get the indictment in the Breonna Taylor case. We had him on the show not long ago. Really, really impressive guy. As are you, Hugh Hewitt. As are you. Megan, always a pleasure. Thank you. Continued good luck with this. It's going so well and, and, and increased success to you in 2021. Oh, thank you. Much love. We appreciate it. Thanks to Hugh Hewitt. That was super fun, as, as well as Dave Briggs. And I want to tell you before we go, our episode today was brought to you in part by Norton 360 with LifeLock. Protect yourself from cybercrime. No, seriously, do it. With the top trusted ally in today's connected world, go to norton.com slash MK to learn more. Now's a perfect time. Now that we're closing out the show, you can get on the internet, norton.com slash MK to learn more. Um, don't forget to tune into the program on Friday because we're going to have Glenn Beck uh, on a tear about his call for secession and where this country's going over the next four years. Love Glenn. We were always tight at Fox and he's got some interesting thoughts on where we are at this moment in time. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. Would love that relationship with you. Download the show. Rate it. I guess you can't review it right now on Apple. I don't know why. Not since mid-December. But uh, you can send us a review at questions at devilmaycaremedia.com. And uh, let us know what you think of the program. Let us know if you have any questions for our Asked and Answered segments or any thoughts on guests. We always take them into consideration and appreciate you guys all listening. So until Friday, talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. The Megan Kelly Show is a Devil May Care media production in collaboration with Red Seat Ventures.